wonder if you've ever uh, been overseas and had the experience where uh, you're either in a non-English speaking country or um, you're in a just, uh, I mean, America's an English speaking country, but they've got a different accent to us. You've been uh, somewhere where it's been like that. And then you just, out of nowhere, you hear this Australian person talking, you know, and you're like a kangaroo, like in a paddock, which kind of <laughs> sticks its head up and your ears are going like this, right? Because you go, well, that's weird. I, um, I had that uh, when uh, the second time I went to Indonesia, I went over there for two weeks and spent most of the time in Jakarta. And uh, we took a domestic flight. We flew into Bali and then took a domestic flight to Jakarta. And they do not make seating for six foot three guys in Indonesia. Probably about five foot three would be the average. And so it was very cramped. And we caught a flight back to uh, Denpasar in Bali to, uh, on our way home. And, you know, we're in the international airport. We're making our way to the gate. And then you just hear Australians. You know, it's this group of... Australians and you can hear them all talking and you come you know because it's going up the the uh, corridors and um, Australians are they're pretty loud people right and then you come around the corner you go ah oh, yeah there they are you know because they're dressed like Australians too and so it was this virgin Australia flight that we were catching from Denpasar back to uh, back to Brisbane and so we all kind of got on this flight together and um, I don't know how many hours it was, but we got close to the end and the, uh, one of the flight attendants got on the loudspeaker and, and said, if you're, uh, if you're visiting Australia, welcome to Australia. Uh, if you're from Australia, what do they say? Welcome home. Welcome home. And today we're going to look at two verses in John 14 that are all about home. Uh, they're really, really significant verses, uh, and they're verses that are related to one another and kind of interrelated. And I'm going to put them on the screen today, uh, just so that you can see them. It's verse 20 and verse 23. Jesus says this, this is the, the night before his crucifixion, uh, he's with the disciples. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I am in you. And go down to verse 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now, first thing I want to look at today, and I've, for all the mathematicians out there, who, who are the mathematicians? Like, give me a formula and that's how I can speak. Who's, who's with me on that? A couple? Okay. We're just going formulas today for the sermon points. First one's this, home equals stay. All right? Home equals stay. There's lots of ways to cash out home. Uh, in that example of flying back to Australia, the country of Australia is home for Australians. For Australians. Um, people talk about being with the person that you love, being home. You can go back to your house and your house, the place that you live, is home. Um, we call lots of different things home, but there's one thing that's consistent about home is it's a place where you stay. That's, that's what it is. Uh, and that's what every home is about. Every home is about where you stay. And you could use other words. It's a place that you stop, the place that you reside, the place that you abide, the place that you remain, the place that you tarry. Who's used tarry in the last week? A bad word then. <laughs> All right. A place that you dwell. You see, home is not a transit point to somewhere else. 
You might go there for periods of time, but you don't go there to get somewhere else. Home, in a sense, if I was to make up a word, which you can do when you're a preacher, home is a stay point, not a way point. That's what it is. You go there to stay. You know, you might go to uni or you might go to work. Um, you might go to school. And what do you do at the end? Well, normally you go home. That's what you do. Uh, sometimes you go out afterwards, but you go out afterwards and then you go home. That's what you do. And then you stay there again. It's like the base for your life. It's the, the anchor point. And the sad thing is, and I just want to throw this caveat in at this point, is that home doesn't always stir up pleasant memories for people. Um, and I, I just want to say to you that if, if this is you and me talking about home today stirs up unpleasant memories for you, I, I want to say to you that I'm sorry that it does that to you. Um, perhaps your home was messed up in your childhood. Some people's home or sense of home gets messed up in their adulthood. Um, and you just need to know if this is a hard thing for you. I, I talk to a lot of people where home is a hard thing for them. Um, and I want you to know that I realise it's hard and painful to think about home. But I also want you to know that I think you haven't given up on the idea of what home's really supposed to be like. Um, because I think everyone who's had a bad experience of home has got this instinctive sense of what it was supposed to be, right? They've got some kind of idea of what it's supposed to be and there's still hope in you that you're going to get there at some point. And so if you're sitting here today, I want to suggest to you that if your home experience was a really unpleasant experience and the idea of home is not a pleasant one for you, I think you still have one thread that still remains. Uh, and perhaps that thread is you just being clearer about what it's not meant to be rather than what it's meant to be. And if that's the case, we can work with that, right? Let's just see if we can build on that. We've got something to actually work on. But let's, let's hook in. This is where we're at. Home is where you stay. Now, with that in mind, let's have a look at the two verses that I had up on the screen before and these verses are, are spoken one of them spoken to the disciples and the other one spoken to anyone who follows Jesus but the implications are the same have a look at the verse uh, there in John 14 verse 20 on that day on that day on what day well that's the big question right on what day and if you go to the next verse in verse 19 you'll see an indicator i think of what that day is because 19 is a verse that comes before it so if jesus is saying on that day uh, it's probably verse 19 day and what's verse 19 say before long the world will not see me anymore but you will see me because i live you also will live now what do you think jesus is talking about in this verse any ideas this is audience participation time yeah, his death and resurrection, right? That's what he's talking about. So, on that day, you'll realise that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I am in you. Now, I, the reason why I think these two verses are connected together is they're all about people being at home with one another. That's what they're all about. Um, 
And what Jesus is saying here is that on that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. That is a mind-bending reality. I mean, you could probably meditate and just write books on that for the rest of your life. Like, what on earth? Really? We are all in each other. The Father, the Son, the Spirit's in there too. All just kind of united together in union with one another. And you know, one of the metaphors that the Bible uses to uh, describe being in union with God, and in particular being in union with Jesus, which is Jesus kind of brings you in, and this is the reality of it. The Spirit uh, unites you to Christ, and if you're united to Christ and Christ is in the Father, then you're in the Father and He's in you, and that's why all this sort of stuff is going on in verse 20 there. But one of the metaphors Scripture uses to uh, describe this being united with God is uh, uh, grafting. Grafting, being grafted in. What's being grafted in? Well, the, the left-hand photo is a rootstock and, and a branch. And, and that's actually from photo stock, by the way. That's not in my backyard. But the one on the left there is, and you know, I mean, it looks like duct tape and all the dudes are going, I'm down for that. You can do lots of things with duct tape. Um, but the idea is that you get a rootstock and you, you cut a, a cut down the middle of it and then you actually put some branches in there and the branches and the rootstock actually grow together. And the other two photos there are actually from our backyard um, and that's a claret ash tree which is a really big tree now and the, the photo on the left or the one in the middle is when it was young you can see that there's been a branch that's actually been put in rootstock and you can see um, more clearly I think where one starts and the other one stops but on the right that's a, the exact same tree and now you can't actually see it anymore um, can you see this that they're in each other and the boundaries have become blurred and no longer distinct from each other. And this is what it's actually meant to be uh, between us and Jesus. Right? And it's like, well, where does Jesus start and Peter finish? It's like, well, somewhere in there. Like, it's kind of seamless. That's how it's meant to be. It's, it's kind of when you're grafted in and you're, you're united and you're actually in, it's, it's meant to be unclear where one person starts and the other one, um, the other one finishes. Uh, it's a sign that you've been united to him. And so if we go back to the, the verse that um, we're looking at there before, on that day you'll realise that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I am in you. Uh, it looks like it's pointing toward us being united to God. So on that day you're going to realise that you're in that you're united in, you're grafted in. Um, what day? The day that the disciples see Jesus again, right? Uh, after he's raised from the dead. And now this, I'm going to be honest with you, this created some difficulties for me, right? And the first difficulty I, uh, I had with it was to do with the significance of the resurrection. And I think the resurrection is a cataclysmic event that changed all the cross and the resurrection changed all of human history. Absolutely no question. Um, but I've been trying to work out how does the resurrection assure us of our being united and being in God? How does it assure the disciples on that particular day? And I've read a bunch of stuff from really smart people and I'll just be honest here, I, I haven't found anything 
I'm sympathetic to a lot of the things they're saying, but I'm just going, ah, oh, it doesn't get me across the line, right? And part of the reason for it is actually due to my second problem with it, um, is that the New Testament teaches really, really clearly that it's the Holy Spirit that unites us to Jesus. So I'm kind of going, is it the Holy Spirit that unites us to Jesus? Or is it the disciples seeing the resurrected Jesus? Is that, is that how it works? Is it the Holy Spirit or is that? Now, I think that seeing the resurrected Jesus would have a massive impact on you if you're one of the disciples. But the deep kind of personal work that looks like is happening in John 14 verse 20, I just go, oh, I just don't think witnessing the resurrected Jesus is doing that deep kind of personal work. And it's doing a lot of deep personal work. I'm not saying it's not doing that, but that's... John 14 20 is... Is pretty intense. You get you get my conundrum. Um, I mean, it, it seems to me that the day Jesus would be talking about in John fourteen verse twenty would actually be the day when the Holy Spirit's given in Acts, right? That's what it seems to me. And and so I I just kind of went, well, what are we going to do? Is it is it the coming of the Holy Spirit or the day when they see the resurrected Jesus? Which one is it? And, and you know what the answer is? I always go for both, <laughs> right? Um, and, and I think that John specifically teaches later on in his gospel that it's both, right? And so I want you to see what he writes when the, in John 20 and the disciples see the resurrected Jesus. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And that is a really good thing to say at the start, isn't it? If someone just shows up in the place where you are, it's like, yeah, no, I'd like there to be peace at that point. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And look what happens next, folks. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's happening? What's happening there? Because some of you at this point are going, didn't the Holy Spirit like come at Pentecost in Acts? All right. Um, didn't the Holy Spirit come after Jesus actually went back to heaven? And I would agree with you because that's what Acts actually teaches. But one of the things you just have to get used to with God is that he has this way of giving you down payments before the fullness comes. That's what he does. I mean, one of the phrases that theologians use is they, they use the phrase, now, not yet. Like Jesus did a whole bunch of things on the cross and we get this down payment of it, but we don't get the, full, the fullness of it because that's yet to come. And I think that's what's going on here. There's some kind of giving of the spirit by Jesus that's going on. It's a bit of a down payment. And then the fullness of it is going to come at Pentecost. All right. So that's how I understand verse 20, all right? Um, on that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And so you know what's going on here? Uh, and you can see it actually in verse 23 as well. Uh, my Father will love them or come to them and make a home with them. You know what's going on is that God's moving into a new place. He's moving into a new home. 
Uh, you know what this is like. You can move house. And in fact, if you look at the scriptures, you find out that God moved house a, uh, a bunch of times. I mean, if you go right back to the beginning, God was uh, really personally, richly present in the Garden of Eden. Um, and then humanity disobeyed him. They got kicked out of the garden and then his presence left the garden at some point and then his personal presence was real and rich in the tabernacle um, that, the, that the Israelites had. Uh, and then he left that and then he went and he, they, they built a temple and he went and his presence was in the temple and then, and then Jesus, the, the personal, well, the person of God, the second person of God came um, and walked on the planet and then he left and he said he's going to give us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit was actually going to come and dwell in us. And this is, this is the promise in verse 23 that the Spirit's going to come and dwell, dwell in us. We've become his home, all those who believe him. And, and the head spinning bit in verse 23 there about you being... God's home, right, is it's somehow, and I don't know how this works, but somehow it's not just the Holy Spirit that's hanging out inside of you that makes you home. Have a look at it up there. Who else is hanging out inside of you and making you home? Father and the Son. Now, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you just go, well, that makes sense, right? Because if you've heard me talking about the Trinity, it's like, man, these guys are just with each other all the time, you know, and, and it's better than groupies, right? But it's kind of like that. It's like you get one and you get all of them. Now, the spirit might be the one that scripture talks about uh, most profoundly is the one dwelling in us, but I think, you get, I think you get all of them. The whole trinity moves in, right? Isn't that amazing? So here's, here's an application point here. For God, you aren't a means to another end. You have to hear this. Um, you are not a stepping stone to something else. And we are used to that kind of stuff, right? We make relationships with people so we can get to that person. You know, there was this... Um, when I was uh, in my early 20s, does anyone remember the computer game Age of Empires? Remember that? I played that so much. I remember standing at church one night and looking at these people in the church and wanting to right-click on them and move them across the other... I'm not even making it up. I actually thought it. I could see it. That's, that's a sign that you played too much computer games. Um, you know, we're, we're used to doing this, but, but you just need to know something. When it comes to God making his home with you, you are not a means to another end. Do you remember where I started this? I said, home's not a springboard. Home's not a waypoint. Home is a stay point. That's what it is. Um, home's where you dwell. And so when God says to you that he wants to make his home in you, that's where he wants to stay. It's not to get to somewhere else. It's about you. You know, God making his home in you is about you. That's what it is. It's individual, it's specific. Anyone who loves me will have the Father and the Son make their home with them. Do you hear it? 
We're going to do this little exercise, right? Because it's an audience interaction thing and some of you are falling asleep already, which is really encouraging. This is obviously going really well. Um, we're going to do this exercise, right? I'm going to read this statement and you have to say your name at the end of it, all at once, okay? And don't go to one of like, come on. Actually, be happy with your name, right? If you don't like your name, go and get it changed, right? But if you like it... Just be happy with it and say it. Say it at a normal level, right? You don't have to yell it and try and have the loudest name in the, in the room. Um, but just say it. You ready? So the statement I'm going to say, now I'm not saying it now, so don't yell it out now, but I'm just giving you, I'm just, just setting this up for you, right? God making his home in you is about, and then you need to say your name at the end of it. You ready? Is everyone organised? Anyone unclear? Okay. God making his home in you is about... Uh, it's about staying with you. Number two, home equals your people. That's 20 and 23. This one's really obvious. Um, about 13, 14 years ago, um, my wife and I decided to sell the house where we were. We um, decided we were going to build in Highfields. And um, we had a house on an acre. It was a lovely place, four boys, you know, it was like Africa, you know, watching the Serengeti, the kids just running out the backyard and maybe not quite like that. They weren't gazelles. Um, not at that age anyway. Wildebeest maybe, I don't know. Anyway, so we, uh, we sold, we needed the money from the house to be able to pay for the, the building and so we, um, we had to get a rental out at Highfields and, and uh, you know, I had this thing in the back of my head um, you know, where I just went, oh, I wonder how this is going to go, right? Uh, we're leaving the house that you know, we brought all of our kids home to when they were born. And uh, we're not going to have as much land. And we're in this house. It was on a smaller block and it kind of backed onto a main road. And, and uh, Ange only saw it the day that we moved in because we just need to get a rental. Um, and, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have worried um, because what I realised is what we all know is that home actually isn't about the house about the people that are in it um it's about where our people were that's that's what it's about where our family was home's about actually being with your people isn't it that's what it is really um now people in love know what this is like too don't they um lovers talk about being at home with one another don't they um and it's beautiful i mean I'm going to say something that's really cheesy and it's going to embarrass my kids, but when I am away and I call and I hear Angie's voice on the phone, I think my heart rate goes down. I know that. So you go, oh, that's sweet. And I say, well, it just is, right? It just is. It's like she's, she's my person. You know, she's my favourite person and, 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 and my boys and her are my people, right? That's, that's kind of home there. And this is the bottom line, right? Home is about being with your people. Now, can you see this aspect of home in these verses? You better believe it. You better believe it. Um, you know, if God's your father and Jesus is your brother and the Holy Spirit is your helper, then they are your people. <laughs> That's who they are. Uh, and not only that, but you can see it up here, they are not just your people, they're each other's people as well. That's what they are. 
Um, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always at home with one another. And, and what have, what's happened? Well, these three who are one, who are at home with each other, incessantly, I might add, have brought you in. Have brought you in. Um, have brought you into that community. And, and, and you could go, well, how did that happen? Well, have a look at verse 23 up there. And I don't know whether you noticed the wording, all right? Did you notice the wording there? We will come to them. And anyone here last week, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What was Jesus' coming to the disciples last week about? It was about his personal presence. What does it mean here? It's about his personal presence. That's what it is. Um, one uh, Bible translator translated it, God's moving into the neighbourhood. You know, God's moving into the neighbourhood. And not just the neighbourhood, he's moving into your neighbourhood. That's what he's doing. Um, and you just need to know that, that, that um, what Jesus is talking about here is the culmination of a long line of biblical teaching on this stuff. Um, it pops up um, over and over throughout the Bible where God dwells with his people. right? And there's actually a saying that uh, shows up in various uh, ways, but it's actually the same saying, and it runs, you'll find it the whole way through the Scriptures, and I'm going to show you the Second Corinthians 6 expression of it. God says, I'll live with them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they will be my people. See, dwelling with us, dwell, God dwelling with his people, is something God's always been on about. I mean, you go back to John chapter 1, uh, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. All right? What's another word for a dwelling place? Another word for a dwelling place is home. That's where one dwells. But notice what God's saying here. He's not just talking about where he's home and where he's living, where he's staying. He's talking about his people. And, and you notice it's not just from his perspective, it's also from the people's perspective. I will be their God. We're meant to go, he's, he's ours. And then he goes, you're mine. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? You're meant to look at the Trinity and go, they are my people, right? Because God looks at you and he goes, you're my people. That's how it's meant to work. Amazing. Here's a summary statement. Being united to Jesus means the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are your people now. You're at home with them. You know what that's like? And you walk with the Lord and maybe you've been through a, uh, a trouble patch. This is your state that you live in. The reality in which you live. You can get to this home. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. You can get to this home. Amen? You can. And many of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in all sorts of situations and you get to this home. You get to your people and there's a sense, I've got the Lord and the Lord's got me and you're at home and your pulse rate goes down. doesn't depend upon circumstances. I mean, maybe you've even had a moment where you just go, I just need to get to my people. I need to get to Jesus. 
If you're a Christian, this is the state that you're in presently and you will be in ongoingly. You see it? Do you get it? Do you know it? push it just a little bit further do you feel it now the normal rule of thumb in preaching sermons is you get the bad stuff out of the way at the start right you start with the negs and then you work to the positives right but i'm going to do it in reverse today and i'm going to cash out the third point as a neg all right and uh and the point of me doing this is i want to inspire you to go after the good. So here's where we're going to, where we're going to finish. And if you're a mass guy and you like things to be uh, a woman and you like things to kind of be even and lined up, this will irritate you. But you can ask Jesus for help, okay? And he will, he helps with mass. But here's the formula: home is not equal to theoretical. God may hear his home in us is not merely a theoretical reality. Or conceptual idea it's something that invades our lived reality it has to it has to I mean the reality of the things that we're talking about here are mind-blowing and why am I finishing here the reason why I'm finishing here is because I think there's a danger for us that we could drift in the direction of God's Spirit and the Father and the Son taking up residence in us as being a theoretical reality and you walk out the door and down the stairs and out the door and just go yeah nice theory I'm glad that's true well that would be a failure really be a failure of this whole sermon you know it's it's not enough I think with anything in the scriptures but specifically with these it's not enough to kind of sit and listen to what is true and know nothing of the reality of what Jesus is talking about and if you don't know anything of the reality of God living in you and taking up residence in you and making you his home there's a problem and I'm I'm going to push you a little bit on this last one right because God making his home in you is something you feel or experience. I didn't say always, right? But it is something you feel or experience. And I would say this, that if you never feel or experience anything, there's a problem. Now, I wonder how you're going. There's probably a, a few of you that are hesitating at the moment. Maybe you've flipped out your phones and you're doing a Google search for other churches in Toowoomba that start at 9 o'clock in the morning, all right? Um, and you're going, oh, geez, I didn't know you were this kind of church. It's like, well, we are this kind of church, all right? Uh, but before you walk out the door and uh, things, you think things are going to get loose, just, just let me help you a little bit with this one because I think uh, talking about experiencing God is a bit of a hot potato at times in the church. Has anyone noticed that? Um, it is. It is a hot potato. And there tends to be two extremes in church land with what to do with experiences and on the one end, uh, the left-hand end there on that flow chart, you can, you'll have churches with a really heavy um, emphasis on experience. And on the other side, you'll, at the other end of the spectrum, you'll have churches with a heavy emphasis on conceptual truths. And typically, what actually happens is churches swing 
they tend to swing to either one of those ends. And uh, one of the things that you actually see is uh, churches that swing to one of those ends, especially the churches that swing to the right-hand end, tend to justify the bent they have by the excesses of the other end, right? Uh, so the right side thinks that the left side is hollow, so they emphasise conceptual truths. And then the, the left side thinks that the right side is dry and crusty, and so they overemphasize experience, or they don't even think about the other side at all. That happens sometimes. Um, some of you go, well, what churches are you talking about, Peter? And I'm just going, not telling. <laughs> I'm just not telling, and the reason why I'm not telling is because it's not the point to name churches. The question is, where does Restoration Church sit? Well, it sits right there. Why? Because I think the Bible does. I think the Bible sits there. God isn't just interested in giving you the truth about who he is. He's also on about you living in it personally. I mean, there's some punishment that God threatens the Israelites with in the Old Testament because they served him, but they didn't do it joyfully. So you better be happy about it, right? It's not just about doing it and going through the motions, it's about being happy about it. You know, the truth is really, really important. It's the anchor. But if it doesn't play out in your lived experience, then you've got a problem. You know, truth and lived experience when it comes to God always need to run side by side. And you could say, well, how do you know this, Peter? And I would say, because it's all over the place in the Bible. That's why. And I want to give you, you one particular example of this. And this is actually one that in my own personal Bible reading and prayer, I've just come back to it over and over and over again, probably for the last month or six weeks. I just, I just flip it out, read it again. Uh, and it's, it's about the Spirit's work. It's in Romans chapter 8. Here's the, um, the two verses, 15 and 16. The Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, there's a heap to say about this verse, but let me leave it to this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit brings about your adoption to sonship, which is a biblical term that relates to other things in the New Testament. You could put in daughter as well, but um, it's a generic term. The Spirit brought about your adoption to sonship, but he doesn't stop there, right? And you need to hear this because the Spirit doesn't just do his work so that you become a son. The Spirit goes further than that and gives you the experience of sonship. Can you see that in the text? It's not just the truth about you becoming a son or a daughter of God. It's about you having the experience of being a son or daughter of God. The Spirit's actually doing both of those things. So, one of the things that you could do is you could ask God for an experience of your sonship or being a daughter of God, couldn't you? You could do that. And I want you to notice, for those of you who are just a bit hesitant, you're just going, oh yeah, I'm still Googling. I'm not talking about asking for an experience or a, or a high I'm actually I'm talking about asking God for something specific and concrete. And I think if you ask for a sense in you of being a son or a daughter of God, 
I think on the strength of Romans 8, 15 to 16, that that would be something that God would want to do. All right? Because that's what, that's what he's up to. And here's the bottom line. Uh, I'm not saying that you're going to have this all the time. I don't have it all the time. And I'm not even saying how God would give it. I don't know. There's lots of different ways he could do it. But you could just ask for it and let him do whatever he thinks is good and right. Now, back to the passage we looked at today. The whole Trinity has taken up residence in you and the Holy Spirit in an extra special way. Now, if that's the case, then you'd know it, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you know it? I mean, if a lion started living in your house, you'd know it, wouldn't you? So what the was that? You know, you hear this roar down to the back end of the house and you know the kids are hungry, but like that's on another level, right? And there's, there's some signs that the, the lion's been walking around. During, you with me? So if you're a bit dry at the moment and God seems to be only theoretical, then I reckon you should pray to him and ask him to help you to know that he's with you. There you go. And and like a whole person kind of know. Now, I don't know what he's going to do, but I reckon he'd be inclined to help out. All right? And you could ask him that. I uh, I got to, you know, I got to, I think, Wednesday morning this week, you know, and I'm looking at this scripture and I'm reading it and praying about it and I'm sitting there on Wednesday morning just going, oh, I can't even think of anything I would say about this, you know. I'd probably go for 20 seconds and all of you say, amen. All right, you owe us some time, Pete. If we had a 20-second sermon, that'd be great. But this was stressing me out a bit, right? I'm just going, oh, I'm reading this, I'm thinking about it. I can't even get inside of it and and um so i prayed a prayer to the lord um and uh, i'm going to put it on the screen and it's one that you could pray if, if you wanted to because uh, i i don't know there's probably a bit of orphan going on in me at this at that point in time and here's um here's what i prayed with i want to know you are in me that you are with me however you want to do that Right. Now, it wasn't some kind of clap of thunder or um, or earthquake or something out at Highfield. But do you know, it was like cracking a coconut, you know, and it, and it was like the spirit just started talking to me about that passage I was looking at. Helped me to see things in it. And then I started talking back. And um, it came close. Who would have thought? And I came out of that and I just went, I know that he's in me. And I know that he's with me. And I believe that if you ask him for that, then he'll give it. Sometime, somehow. Why? 
because the whole person lived experience of dwelling with God has been what God's been on about throughout all of human history. This is what God's doing. Like, this is the main thing that God's doing. He's wanting to dwell with his people. He's wanting his people to dwell with him. And you just seem to know that your destination, you talk about heaven, your destination, heaven is not going to be a classroom or a science lab or a lecture theatre or a church building. In the beginning of John 14 tells us that heaven's going to be a house, isn't it? That's the metaphor. I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. Why is it a house? Because that's where the Father dwells. You're not going to something else. You're not going to your workplace. You're going to a house. And house is all about dwelling. It's about staying. That's what it's about. Here it is. Here's a picture from Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the church. That's, that's us. All of the people who have ever given their lives to Jesus over all of human history. They all look great. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Of course. Of course that's where it ends. Um, but there's a down payment now. You can get a bit of it now. I think we should ask God for some things. And I think there's some of you that need to ask God for some things. Um, so don't want to just roll into Christmas and holidays and the new year and just do it the dry old way we've been doing it. You know... Seriously, if the Father, Son and Holy Spirit have taken up residence in you, is there some more stuff that you could lay hold of? What do you think? You think there's more for you? More than what you've got now? Some of you go, I think I'm all right now. It's like, not as all right as you'd be if you had some more. Would you? Do you want some more? It's sad if people kind of go, no, I think I'm good. Like someone just handed you a milk arrowroot biscuit. Oh, I'm happy with this. They're good. It's like, yeah, only if you dip it in something else. Like manna, it doesn't have a taste of its own, really. It just takes on the taste of whatever it's in. I'm not bagging it, aren't it? You could, you know, there's a part of me that just goes, you, you could sit there and you go, I'm, I'm really happy with the milk, arrowroot, Holy Spirit. 
And I, I, I mean, I've just spent probably 40 minutes telling you you should have something better than that, and that it'd be really good for you. But if you came up to me and said, no, I'm pretty happy with that. It's like, okay, you can have that. If God was willing to give you more and to help you more, would you want that? Jesus, I pray for all of us. We are a light. It's meant to be shining on a hill. And um, we want to get brighter. We'd like an upgrade, actually. Um, a brightness upgrade. And that's going to come from being near to you and knowing that you're with us. I pray that you would do a whole bunch of things that are out of the box this week for all of these people. That would make them go, huh, would you believe that? The Lord's with me. God, I don't, I've got no fences, no boundaries of things that I'm thinking of with you doing that. And you just, you know how to do it. You know how to do it precisely for every person. And I pray that you would do that this week, that we would hear more stories, more stories of I, I am their God. They are my people. I will dwell in their midst. They're good stories. We'd like to hear some more of those. And we don't just want to hear them. We want to be part of the story of what you're doing. Yeah, come to us. Amen.